0: church, too, and see if there's anything we can sell. (laughs) Uh, Joking, but kind of serious. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so we just want to have things to sell. Anyway, last week we started on orphan mentality, for those of you who weren't here. But before we continue with that, because we are going to continue with that, there was one session of Nehemiah that I really wanted to speak on, teach on, um, before we move on. Because Nehemiah has been a big theme for us for the past, what, couple months? We've been talking about it and rebuilding and what are we focused on so we can have vision. And Hebrews 12, right, running the race set before us. You need the goal set before you so that there can be very tangible steps to achieve this goal that God has given to us as a community. And um, so there's a lot more in Nehemiah, but I'm going to wrap up on this session. Today, and it could be titled. I haven't titled any of the other ones, but if this one were titled, it would be titled leaders lead. It sounds pretty obvious leaders lead. But it's true leaders lead. And we're talking about the attributes that we see in Nehemiah, the principles of leadership that we see through him, because we all are leaders right here and right now. God has called you. In your realm of influence, even in this church community, as a leader, he's given each one of us gifts and talents. And it's not for us to say, um, no, that's Wesley's job or that's for Renee to do or, you know, kind of saying, I don't want to I kind of just want to stay back here. It doesn't matter. You might be made for being behind the scenes, but you're still leading there. It doesn't matter where God has placed you or what gifts he's given you. You're called to lead with those gifts that he's given to you. And there's a responsibility for that. The Bible teaches us who is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. It's not the pastor. The church is so much bigger than just one local body. Jesus is the head of the church. And he's placed people in different realms with different giftings so that we can function together as the body. And then we're each meant to lead in the sphere of of influence that he's placed us in. Does that make sense? Do you get it? So that might be you in your home with your children. So many times, I mean, we talked about this on Mother's Day. So many times mothers and maybe even fathers sometimes belittle the fact or get tired of the fact of like, oh, I'm just caring for these children and where's my ministry? Remember I shared about my mom where God spoke to her, kept saying, look down, look down at all these kids that were surrounding her. And she's like, no, I'm talking about my ministry. No, look down. She was being a leader in influencing 12 little children. That is a great, great responsibility and place that God put her in because of her gifts and abilities to influence 12 children who are now influencing many others all around the world. That might be your place. Did anyone see her? Did anyone know what she was doing? No. And she probably felt very alone and hidden and unrecognized and not honored in those times. But now as she's seeing the fruit of it, she realized, wow, what I was sowing into bore fruit. What I sowed into in the secret place where no one else was seeing what God was seeing is now bearing fruit in my children's lives. What a greater honor. So, you know, we each have to find out, God, where have you placed me? What's my sphere of influence? Where, where am I called to be the leader? Where am I setting the example? So when we think of the word leader, what are some of the attributes or characteristics that come to your mind? Responsibility, someone who, who carries responsibility. What else? Someone, and you'd say, Wow, that person is a leader. What, what makes you say that about someone? They're set apart, they're not acting like everybody else is. Outstanding in their field, developed that could also be developed in their giftings or you know, standing apart, setting apart. Yep, what else? Explain that. Exactly. Compassion. They care for those that they're leading. In other words, they're more focused on the others than their own desires. They're more interested in what would be the best for the group than what would be the best for just themselves. Right. Great. What else? Anything? Anything? Wisdom and maturity. You see, wha- someone walking in wisdom and maturity, you want to follow that person. Because you're like, wow, they know what they're doing, <laughs> and they've got wisdom. I want to follow that person, right? What else? There's one key thing, and I hate when preachers do it, and I'm doing it right now. But when they uh, want you to say something, these are all things I had written down, too. But there's one thing. Commitment. And dedication. They delegate also, that's a huge one. They're giving out responsibilities to other people. It's not all about them, they're influencing their team, they're giving out opportunities and responsibilities for their, the people they're leading as well. When we were in cross-country, and I know these are the examples I use all the time, so you guys are forever going to be ingrained with running examples in your mind, um, but it's what I have. When we were in cross-country, there were leaders on our cross-country team. How did those people become leaders? They were the fastest runners. They had the best form in running. They were encouragers, dedicated more than anyone else to the team. They would come, they would be the first to arrive, and they would be the last to leave. That shows their commitment, right? That was showing their dedication to what they were doing. You could learn just from watching them. Because of their dedication, their commitment, their drive to become the best, to reach the goal, to lead the team, they knew they were setting an example. Another attribute sets an example. They knew they were setting an example, so they always lived with that in mind, this responsibility that others were going to follow them. So I think I shared before there were times where we would be sent out to do a 15-mile run. Yeah, go run 15 miles and come back when you're done. They didn't care where you went or whatever, as long as you were gone the least amount of time that 15 miles would take, the fastest runner, and then you could come back. So what I would do, because I was not necessarily a leader at all on my cross-country team, and I was kind of a slacker and just wanted to have fun, I would run to the ice cream store with a couple of friends that was about two miles away. We would get an ice cream. We'd sit and enjoy the ice cream, talk, hang out, watching the time, until we were okay, this is about how fast we'd run 15 miles because we're slow. And then we would run back to the high school and be like, we're done. Why we didn't get any better, you know, is because we were eating ice cream and running four miles a day instead of 15. What would the top runners do? They would go out in their group, and they would run the toughest run, and they would push. Was the coach watching them? No. Was anybody else seeing where they were going? No, because, of course, we were able to hide and do the least amount of possible because of that. But they didn't care. It wasn't about what other people were doing or about the coaches seeing them. It was about setting example. It was about becoming the best and winning, reaching the goal. So they did it. They stayed committed regardless of who was watching. And in the same way in the church, those that lead, which is us, we stay. We must stay dedicated and committed above anyone else. That's setting the example. It's setting an example. When we come here and we start to, I don't know, we just, we're focused. We're set on the goal. When we're coming for Food Pantry, I mean, you guys all set a great example for that. You guys show up early. You do the boxes. There's commitment to that. Then we come on Food Pantry and you're staying. You stay till the end, till we're cleaned up and ready to go, like that's showing commitment, dedication. People who watch that will say, wow, this crew is really dedicated to this thing that they're doing here. That's how they see it. That's how it looks. It's setting an example whether we're intentionally thinking of it or not because we're dedicated to this thing that we're doing. A leader encourages builds up those that they're around. And I think that has to do with some of the compassion thing that Ann was saying. They, they're looking out for the best interest of the team because you know, just as in co- cross country, if you have two of the best runners but the rest of the team stinks, your team won't rank high because they're wanting the team that has the most of the best runners. So maybe those two individuals would rank highly in the state or whatever. But as a team, our team would not rank high, and then they would be known as people on a lowly ranked high school team, and that would affect college scholarships even. Crazy, right? So they had this thing, like we would have to go on group runs sometimes. Yeah, what would happen then? So then the leaders are in the front. The leaders can only go as fast as the slowest person. So what were, our, what were some of the top runners? There was this girl named Kat, Kat LaRiviere, and she was our top runner. She and this girl named Sevilla, good friends of mine. But what Kat would do, she was super energetic, super happy all the time, and she would be at the front, and then she'd be running. So she must have run doubled all what we any of us run. But she would run back and then start to encourage everybody running back up. And when she would get to the front again, she would come back and then run up. Nice job, way to go. Watch your right leg. Like she would help us with our form. That that's making you more tired. And then she'd go, Oh, you're doing so well. And and even though we were like peers and everything, you could feel the encouragement. You were like, okay, I'm not being she's not looking down at me because I'm so much slower than her. She's actually wanting to be a team here and push us forward. And that's how we lead as well. We're not looking down on anyone who's less fast, less skilled, less gifted, less mature. We're encouraging and we're saying, yeah, like you're doing so well. Work on this area of your running or your your um, your form and it will help you to run faster. Grab that corn. (laughs) There we go. So. They're setting an example. They're encouraging. They're building up the team. They're dedicated, committed, uh, above anything else, and they're confident. Leaders are confident people. They're they're really uh, at ease in their own skin. They're at home in their own skin. Right? Is that the phrase? They're at home in their own skin. You just said, you know, this is who I am. I'm confident in who I am. I'm confident in the gifts that God's given me. I'm confident in the talents he's given me. I'm not arrogant about it, but I know what he's given me, and I'm using it for his glory, period. And I'm setting an example for others in this way. Not that they would just become like me in my gifts and abilities, but in the confidence in who God is, who he's made us to be, And then we're like, oh, yeah, we can be confident in who we are. We can be confident in our gifts and not shy away from it. And then we can encourage when I'm confident in my gift, I can encourage you to be confident in your gift. If you're not confident in your own gift, it will be very hard to encourage someone else in theirs. It's just a more difficult thing. But when you have recognized this place of acceptance in God. And that he's the one that's given you what you have. So why did he give it to you? Because he wants you to use it. He wants you to use it. So you say, okay, I recognize these gifts. And if you don't recognize it, have someone else tell you. Because sometimes we can point out each other's gifts even better. We can recognize things on each other. And then you encourage it. Oh, come on. You're so good at that. Come on. You've got to develop that. You've got to pass that on. You've got to give. It was like Marie. Marie is a tremendous cook. So what did we say? We are going to steal her every once a month. We'll start with once a month where she's going to do cooking classes for the community and us and the food pantry. And I told some of the ladies in the food pantry that came hanging around and they were excited about it. Oh, we can come together and share recipes and make something, and it will be fun. It was like Marie has this gift, a talent, that God has given her. He's given her ease in that. Not everybody has that, and she has an ability to influence. So let's give her an opportunity to influence in a greater way with a greater sphere than she has maybe right this second. Yeah, and the men can come and eat the results with us. And we'll have a big community dinner after. Mmm, hungry. But these are the things. Sometimes we can recognize something on one another and then start to call it out and say, come on, you're so good at this. I can see it on you. Let's, Let's run together. Let's develop this so we can influence. And in Nehemiah, the end of, I mean, what do we see in Nehemiah the whole time? Everything that we've looked at, he's the forerunner. What does that mean? He's going before everybody else. He said by himself in the king's court, he was undone, right? When he heard about Jerusalem's walls, he didn't know if anyone would follow him. He didn't know what would happen when he got there, but he prayed. God convinced him that it was his place to go and rebuild. And so in that confidence from that place of prayer, he went and he rallied the troops and what did we see from chapters 1 to chapter 4 was he just watching them work and giving them jobs what was he doing? He was encouraging them? Was he sitting off somewhere by himself kind of yelling encouragement? What was he where was he? Huh? With them. He was right beside them with all his government officials. Now he was a man who was in high leadership position in the king's court serving. That could have given him every right to kind of sit back and say, okay, you do this and you do that. But he wasn't that type of leader. He was a godly leader to set the example you must be working side by side. You can't set the example by saying, oh, you over there, hammer harder as I'm sipping my iced tea. They're not seeing any example. They're, they'd get bitter against that, right? Right. Yeah, they might throw the hammer at you or they might just give up and say, "Uh, nope, I'm not working on this project anymore. You know, I'm invested. You're not invested. They want people want to follow a leader that sets an example. Are we setting the example? Are people going to want to follow us in the rebuilding of prayer and community? Right. These are the two things that we're highlighting right now in the season that we're in prayer because it moves things. Right. Spiritually. We prayed for Haiti this morning. We were talking about you're able to cross thousands of miles of lines spiritually, physically through prayer and then God's answering. So are we setting that example in our families, in our church, when we're gathered here on Sundays? You know, we always take the time to pray as a community because it's essential for the breakthrough. And we must set the example. We must set the example in this and in developing community. And we're seeing that happen already. I mean, you guys are pretty good at community. But it's going to be welcoming then this community in, the food pantry, right? Yesterday, what did that feel like? To me, it felt like church community, like we're having a breakfast with our family. I loved it. It was like my favorite. It was the highlight of my week. I was ah, so happy the whole time. But Nehemiah was that same way. Think of all that had happened up until that point, this point. We're in chapter five now. All that had happened, they were building. There was fear. Right. We talked about how much fear they were experiencing inside and then coming from them outside. The opposition of their enemies. Threats coming against them. Right. We talked about all these things. Are our fears coming from within, from without? How are we confronting the fear? It's not an issue that you have fear. It's an issue when you let fear control you. We all experience fear, but we have to confront the fear and say, "Uh, no, I am not letting that thing control me. I am busting out in freedom and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. They were building. They had so much opposition. They were building with one hand and they had their weapon in the other hand. That's where we let off. And what was Nehemiah doing? The end of chapter four so verse starting in verse 21 so we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared at that time i also said to the people let each man with his servant spend the night within jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day that's exhausting staying up all night and then construction work all day but that's by the grace of god you know supernatural strength and energy Then verse 23, so neither I, Nehemiah, nor my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon, even to the water. He was setting an example. He was more determined than everybody else. He said, me and everyone, all my guards, everyone around me, we're doing the same thing. We have our weapons with us. We are ready to fight we are building we're not p- letting down for anything chapter 5 i really wish we could just read the whole thing but it's too long it's only 19 verses so please 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 read it on your own as well but it's talking about usury does anyone know what usury is what'd you say yep that there, that is um a definition of usury there was something called usury in biblical times, though, and I had to look it up to remind me, set myself what it was, but it was one they would hold a tax with interest on someone of their own tribe, you know, so within Israel, you could loan money. They were a people group and they would loan money, but um, God set a law that they were not supposed to put interest on the money that they loaned within They could put interest on the people outside their family because it was an outside deal. It was and it was not very much interest. Usury was this high interest on money that was lent within the family. So what's happening? um, Verse one, we're going to just read. Now there was a great outcry Up to this point. They've been laboring. Day in, day out, fighting, opposition, fear, and yet they're, they're sticking with it. Why? Because Nehemiah is setting this amazing example. He's encouraging them. He's leading them in prayer. Now, there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, we, our sons, our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were others who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. Also, those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and on our vineyards. Now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters are forced into bondage already, and we are helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. So there's this major outcry of we're the same flesh and blood of these brothers of ours, but we're selling into slavery. We don't have any food to eat. We've had to sell even our daughters into bondage already to the same clan. Can you even imagine that happening, that family against family is doing this to each other? So Nehemiah's response. Let's see how Nehemiah, this great leader. Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I consulted with myself. I thought that's awesome. He consulted with himself. I'm guessing that was the spirit of God with him also. But I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usury each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. I said to them, we, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now, would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. So what is Nehemiah comes and he rebuke? He gathers everyone together, which is a very wise thing because a lot of Israelites were upset. So he's got people on his side. And he confronts these nobles, these leaders, and he says, this is what you've been doing. I and all my friends, all the people with me, have redeemed them, meaning Nehemiah had used his own money to buy them back. What a leader. How to set an example. And he said, would you even have this high interest against them? And I said, the thing which you are doing, verse 9, is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies. And likewise, I, my brothers and my servants, are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day, their fields, vineyards, olive groves, their houses. Also, the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, the new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. Then they said, we will give it back, and we will require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. Wow. So there's this response of humility. Now, why? Number one, probably the anointing of on God, on Nehemiah, that, that weight of conviction that they were against, they were in disobedience to what God had set in place for them. But also, if Nehemiah had been doing the same thing, as they had been doing, and then rebuked them, would they have listened to him, do you think? No. They'd be like, who are you? You're doing the same thing. Yeah, you're not setting any example for us. But because he was a leader on par with them in the same type of level of leadership and authority, and he was setting a different example And the anointing, obviously, this is the conviction of the Holy Spirit we're seeing on these men. All these priests do exactly what he say. They say, and he made them take an oath that they will, starting in verse 14. And this is subtitled in the NASB, Nehemiah's example, right? So leader as an example, Nehemiah's example. Moreover, from that day that I was appointed to be their governor from the 20th year to the 32nd year for 12 years. Neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance, but the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them their bread, wine, beside 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. So Nehemiah had a rightful place as as the governor to get the certain amount of money and food from people. It was his right given by God. But because he saw the state of the people and how they were at, he did not require any of that because the fear of God was on him. He had compassion for the people. He saw that they were in destitution, even some in famine because of their debt. So he wasn't taking anything from them. And in fact, he was lending stuff from his own food and everything to them so they could pay off the usury that was held against them. What an example. Verse 16. I also applied myself to the work on the wall. We did not buy any land and all my servants were gathered there for for the work. He's kind of like putting on display. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm working with you guys. I'm not taking the food allowance. Why is he saying these things? Moreover, Mm -hmm. verse 17, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now that which we prepared for each day was one ox, six choice sheep. Also birds were prepared for me. And in once in 10 days, all sorts of wine were furnished in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the governor's food allowance because the servitude was heavy on this people. Remember me, O God, for good, according to all that I've done for all these people. Now, that is absolutely incredible, incredible to me. He saw that the servitude, that that weight on the people was heavy, and so he said, I'm not taking this. I don't need it. God's going to provide for me. I'm here to serve alongside with them. I'm working with them, and I'm going to set the example in every area of my life in my leading. When I have a right to this, I'm going to deny it to show that really my heart is for the betterment of this people. It's not for my own betterment. It's not that I would shine as some leader. He was becoming a servant. Who who does that remind us of? (laughs) Jesus. It reminds me of Jesus. He wasn't trying. He had every right. What does Philippians 2 say? That he was given the right. He had the right, but he laid aside his right. To have all the authority like God had, to have all the power that God had because he was God. It said he laid aside his rights as God to come and serve us. In the same way, Nehemiah was something reflecting this leadership of Jesus where he laid aside his rights to receive food and money from the people because of the work that he was doing. He was actually working. It wasn't like he was doing nothing. He was working. And he could have taken that, but because he saw the burden on the people, he decided to set a higher example of leadership that says, no, I'm not even going to take that. I'm going to give what I have to help because this is about the betterment of the whole group. In rebuilding, we are all leaders. God has each given us gifts and talents. Christ is the head of the church. He is our top leader. We are all following him, and we must all contribute to the movement of the church forward. We must all give towards it. And these are the kind of reflection questions I want us to think about this week and maybe even right now. If you want to write them down to remember and ask God and even think about it yourself, examine your life. This is what this is all about as we're studying it so that we can have transformation Every week I'm asking God, show me how I can look more like Jesus. Show me how we can, as a body, reflect Christ more. But each of us must do that individually so that we can reflect him more corporately. Where are you setting an example? Number one, where are you setting an example in prayer? Whether that's in your personal home or in our corporate home here. Where are you setting an example in prayer? Is God asking you to set something more? He will speak to you about that. He'll let you know. (laughs) He's good with transformation, you know, to make us more like Jesus. But where are you setting the example? In prayer, in your home, and in our home. Where are you setting an example in community development? Where we're sowing into the development of our community. So that's inward. Inward. This community here in home and then outward in our outward community, where are we sowing in? I mean, I think everyone here is sowing in and food pantry, which is our main outward focus. And everyone here adds so much to that. But ask God. I want us to be specific of asking our father who speaks to us, you know, so where are we setting an example in confidence and in courage in our gifts and abilities where are you setting an example in confidence where you're confronting your fear? Are you displaying? I mean, Renee, if I could use it y- as an example. Renee told me that um, before, I don't know how many years ago or how long ago it was, but if someone had asked her to lead a song like this, she would be like a panic attack. Is that correct, right? I don't want to put words, but yeah, like... Distress because of the fear, whatever she was feeling, however, the enemy was keeping her back, insecurity, whatever. We each have those areas. Was she setting an example for us this morning? Wow, what an example where she said, nope, no fear. I'm not allowing that fear anymore. I'm. G-. She set an example of this confrontation of fear, a place where the enemy used to have her bound or whatever it was kept her back from using the gift that she has so clearly. So where are we each doing that? Where are we each doing that? Do you lead a life that people want to follow? Do you lead a life that people want to follow? And I think uh, the biggest part in that is like, okay, Jesus leads a life that we all want to follow. Right. He he left this eternal legacy for us of power and demonstration and love, peace, mercy. You know, he left this demonstration that we said, I want to follow that. So are we following that so much so that people say, wow, I want to follow you. You are so confident. I remember in high school. I was so nerdy, but I was popular and this was such a weird, you know, I kind of ironic. I was homeschooled growing up, so that added some like weirdness to me. And um so I was homeschooled through sixth grade, then I went to Christian school for a couple years. Why I say homeschool can make you weird is because you don't have social skills necessarily. You get you don't always like sometimes because you're just with your own family. So you're really confident with your family. And you're not, in a good way, you could be not influenced by, you know, what the world is. But then once you get put into them, you look really strange because you are so separate, right? So that's what I'm talking about there. So I get to high school, and if you saw any pictures of me in high school, wow. It was a sight to see. But I was a very, very outgoing, confident person just because of how my parents raised me, Growing up in a big family, you have to defend yourself from all your older siblings, so you're just kind of like, I've got this, I'm grounded. So I got to high school, and I remember um, I was really nervous about people finding out that I was a Christian because I didn't want to be, like, really outcasted right away. But I also was, like, really, you know, into my youth group and church, and so I was living kind of a double life. Trying to secretly go to the Christian group in the morning so no one saw me. Well, I, th- I take this communications class, and I, the first day, I'm a freshman, and everybody else in the class are seniors because it was their easy A for English for their senior year, and I did not know that that's how people did it. And so I took it as a freshman, and the first day of class, they asked us each to th- they asked for a volunteer to pick a paper from a little jar and give a speech for one minute on whatever they picked to just be fun and that we were going to do that. Well, my hand shot up, and i don 't know why, and maybe I just was trying to be outgoing and- bo- the minute I got up, I was scared to death, and I pick a piece of paper, and the on the paper it says, "If you could tell the whole world one thing, what would it be?" And I'm like, and so for the next that you get one minute to think about what you're going to say and then one minute to give a speech on it. And so now I'm like, I wasn't thinking about what I was going to say. I'm thinking, God, help me say what I need to say right now because I'm terrified right now that everyone's going to know I'm a Christian and this stinks. Well, I get up and the power of God comes on me and I start to preach like. And th- if I could tell the world one thing, the one thing that I would declare is that I am a Christian, and that Jesus gave His life to that we could each know Him. And I went on, and the whole class is just staring at me. And just so happened that the t- teacher was a Christian, so he has this huge smile on his face, and he's like, "Oh yeah, like I picked the right student to d- to do this." And then. The bell rings as soon as my speech is done, and everybody goes out of the room, and the seniors are yelling down the hallway, Wesley Wells is a Christian. Just like, it was kind of like mocking but funny at the same time, and I was like, well, it's out. Like, I can't hide it anymore, so now I'm going to just be this confident. I've got to step into this outgoing. Well, you know what that did? It made people want to follow me. Why? Because in high school, there's a lot of people with lots of insecurities, and they're all trying to impress and be accepted by the people around them. Well, I could care less at that point if I was accepted by anybody. And I was just kind of me. And so because of that confidence, th- there was nobody that could say something against me that I'd kind of look at them stupidly and be like, really? Okay, like that's dumb. And then they'd, they'd be like, okay, that we need to be friends with her instead of against her, I guess. And then I would stand up for the people that I really had compassion on, people who got made fun of. I hated people getting made fun of. Um, but it was kind of a dual thing because also there was this kid in one of my classes. He smelled bad, very bad, and he did not have good hygiene. And there were these girls making fun of him, and I got infuriated. I stood up, and these girls were my friends, you know, from cross country or whatever. And I stood up and reamed them out and said, "I can't believe you. Who are you to say anything about him? Stop. Leave him alone." And they got really embarrassed that I would confront them in front of the whole class. And the teacher told me to sit down and stuff. I was just really vocal and loud and. Can you imagine me like that? (laughs) Well, I was. And what happened? That kid followed me everywhere I went from that point on. He'd be waiting at my locker. He'd be wanting to walk to all my classes with me. And I ended up having to tell him, which was not good of me. I was not fully Christian, too. (laughs) But I said, listen, I'm not your friend now. But I don't like when people make fun of So if you could stop following me (laughs) to my locker, that would be great. Um, But it's that confidence. When someone's confident, people want to follow you. that was a lot of story to kind of hammer in that point. When we're confident in in who we are, in our gifts, our abilities, people want to follow that type of leadership. So be confident. Ask God to make you confident, to expose the places where we're insecure so that we could be a leader like Nehemiah, who was really just reflecting the one to come, Jesus. Right? who gave up everything to serve everyone, who labored beside, set the example, was committed, dedicated. And let's self-examine and say, God, show me where I can become a better leader. We all, each of us, can become better leaders. There are areas of growth. So today, how do we want to end today? Jim, yeah, Jim. <laughs> Jim, could you pray for us um, that we would all, some of whatever God puts in your heart, but, but praying along these lines that we would become the leaders that He's wanting us to be. You can pray from you where you are if you want the mic. You can pray in the. Mic.